Hey homies, this is Sarah. And this is Ashley. And this is Hometown Homicide. everybody and happy new year yes welcome to the first episode of 2022 it's gonna take a little bit to get used to that one indeed is it 2022 i hope it's not 2022 2020 sucked i saw a meme today that said 2022 whatever song was number one on oh your 22nd birthday oh god is how your 2022 is gonna be all right i'm googling that real quick so i googled it and the song was maroon five what's i gotta find it again oh it was maroon five make makes me wonder which made me wonder what the hell that meant. <laughs> what do I need to wonder about? Math but then it also it. said other top songs of that era, like May of 20, mm. not 20, 2007 was <laughs> buy you a drink, which, okay, people want to buy me a drink in 2022. I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. Also, glamorous. Okay. I'm feeling those vibes, but not makes me wonder. I don't want to have things make me wonder what's happening. (laughs) I'm over that. But I hope everybody had a safe, happy new year. Hold on. I want to look up my birthday thing. I've had, I I have conflicting, I got check on it by Beyonce for... This one. Another source said Low by Flo Rida, which... Oh, wait, no, that's just 2008. I don't know why it's telling me that when I literally put 2006, but whatevs. So, yeah, check on it by Beyonce. Okay. But I was like, that's interesting, and I don't like that. <laughs> Sorry, cracking my knuckles. I hope everyone had a safe and happy new year. Hopefully nobody got in trouble. Hopefully nobody did anything to where we need to tell a story about you. No doubt, right? That's the main thing. But we're going to get into the first episode of 2022 with the story of Carol Thompson. Where this begins, Carol Ann Swoboda was born October 11th, 1928 in St. Paul, Minnesota. She was an only child. And that is all I got on the early life of Carol. All right. Because nobody had anything. While she was attending McAllister College in St. Paul, which is a private school, Carol met Tilmer Eugene Thompson, also nicknamed Cotton for his white blonde hair. I'm just going to call him T, because in all the articles, it was T. Eugene, so... T is easy. Mm -hmm. T was born August 7th, 1927 in Elmore, Minnesota. Carol and T married March 27th, 1948, while he was still attending school. 
After graduating from law school in 1955, T joined the St. Paul law firm of Hoffman, Donahue, and Graff, where he handled a variety of civil and criminal cases. Carol and T had four children. T became a very well-known and respectful young lawyer in St. Paul. So the family moved to a large home in an upper middle-class Highland Park neighborhood. So they were in the suburbs of St. Paul, living the good life. Um, the Thompsons were became pillars of the community. They were regular Sunday churchgoers. They just had a really nice life. Describing Carol, she was in many ways the prototypical early 1960s wife and mother. She had everything except the white picket fence out front. She That's was funny. When you were describing their life, I was thinking like, white, oh, white picket, white picket fence. fence. Yeah. She was active in her church, active in scouts, and did all the things that stay-at-home mothers did in those days. She had a million friends with whom she played bridge and got together for coffee parties. I want (laughs) to do coffee parties. I need to play euchre, though. I don't care. I just want to get together. (laughs) Or Cards Against Humanity. We have our brunches where it's bottomless mimosas, but what about coffee i love coffee can't drink too much of it though but coffee parties that was a thing (laughs) so on the morning of march 6 1963 carol who was 34 at the time she made breakfast for her husband and four children then went back to bed and around 8 30 she was surprised by an intruder in her bedroom he knocked her out with a rubber hose and tried to drown her in the bathtub how do you knock someone out with a rubber hose? I don't know. <clears throat> I've been trying to figure that out. <laughs> when she came to and tried to escape, her attacker tried to shoot her, but his pistol wouldn't fire. So he beat her with the gun's butt and then stabbed her in the neck. Ooh. After all of this, she was able to make it to a neighbor's house while the intruder was washing up because he thought she was dead. She was barefoot and covered in blood and also had blood streaming from her head and face when she showed up to the neighbor's doorstep. She was so bloody that the neighbor said um, that they didn't even recognize or even know who she was. According to that neighbor, Carol said, I've got a knife in my throat. A man did it. He came to my door. Won't you please help me? She was rushed to Anchor Hospital where surgeons took a three inch knife blade from her throat. Oh, my God. But unfortunately, after all the life-saving efforts, Carol died a few hours later at the hospital. That sucks. It does. Once the word spread, the community feared that a killer was on the loose and prompted neighbors to deadbolt their doors. And they say this in every serial killer documentary. It was a neighborhood where people felt safe and they could keep their doors unlocked. They didn't go to bed. Like and last week about thing. Leah Rollins, like small towns, no one didn't lock their, no one didn't, derp, derp, no one locked their doors. <laughs> and it's the same, like it must have been like that time mm-hmm. where people didn't need to. But this, of course, made people deadbolt their doors. Her husband, T, of course, was very upset after learning of his wife's death. But was he really? I was going to say, where was he at when this happened? But was he really? (laughs) Okay. The look she was giving me is like, bitch, shut up. (laughs) 
I'm going to interject real quick just to remind you guys that we love you and thank you for your support. Another way to show your support is now you can go to patreon.com slash hometown homicide podcast and there are two different tiers that are active and don't forget to rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple podcast or hit the thumbs up on YouTube or any of our Instagram posts. Thank you guys. Attacks were pretty unusual enough in St. Paul in 1963 but they were virtually unheard of in affluent neighborhoods such as the Thompsons. A 34-year-old Carol Thompson, in many ways, was a highly improbable victim. St. Paul police had intense pressure from the public as they began an extensive investigation when they turned their focus to Carol's husband, T. After receiving reports of his purchase of more than a million dollars in life insurance Bitch. on his wife... On top of having an alleged, air quotes, history of womanizing and became their prime suspect. Oh, dick smack. I mean, I think by being a shitbag mm-hmm. womanizer doesn't, like, make you a prime suspect for murder. But a million dollars in life insurance in 1963 is. Oh, yeah, shit. I didn't think about that. Nowadays would have been over nine million dollars. Oh my god! Wow. And it's always the or not always the husband, but you know it's mm-hmm. almost always the spouse. And don't have a shit ton of life insurance on your spouse when you're gonna murk them because it's just extra arrows pointing directly at you. And mind you, he's a lawyer. Oh yeah, extra dumb then. <laughs> okay. Right. Fucking duh. They also grew suspicious when they learned that. T had recently given away the family's dog, and after that, arriving at his office unusually early that morning, he had instructed his secretary to call his wife at home on a pretext that she'd answered the phone. Um, And of course, T denied any involvement with the crime. Mm -hmm. Joe Healy, an insurance investigator, told the New York Times in 1972 that the trouble was that he thought of everything. And everything he thought of made him that much more suspect. Yeah, I mean, that makes... I mean, he thought of everything. He covered all of his bases, which is extra suspicious. Sus. I almost said that. I almost said sus. I don't fucking like that. I don't either. I think it's Those too, people say like, it all the time. It's too, like, Gen Z. I don't know. Yeah. No offense, Gen Z. But suspicious, I can get down with that. Suspicious. Oh, my God. My dad bought me that sweatshirt. The Bailey Syrian suspicious sweatshirt. Oh, really? For Christmas, but it's like not back ordered, but it hasn't arrived yet. So he's like, hopefully it'll come. And I was like, yeah. She had some restocks. It hasn't been canceled yet. So hopefully it'll still come. Good. But I'm excited. Awesome. The police initially suspected that an intruder, a homicidal maniac, had killed her, but investigators linked the crime scene evidence to a small time thief named Dick Anderson. Dick who confessed he had killed Carol for $3,000. He got the short end of the stick. Yep. After being hired by ex-boxer Norman Mastrian. Mastrian was a middleman who was hired by T. Okay. I'm like, how is this other fellow even? Okay. So T hired the ex-boxer, who then hired Dick. Apparently, Dick got $2,300 and... The ex-boxer kept 700 just for being the middleman. Okay. That's... They all got the shaft for this fucking thing, man. Not that you should 
have people murder. Right. But, you know. T was arrested on June 21st and indicted on a charge of first-degree murder, and his bond was set at $100,000, which was the highest in state history at that time. The six-week trial of T drew global attention, and the Historical Society described T. Eugene Thompson as arguably the most infamous murderer in Minneapolis history. Minnesota history. Minnesota. 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 Many believe this case inspired the plot of the film Fargo, but the filmmakers said it's not true and they have never even heard of Thompson. T. Yeah. Lots. You betcha. You betcha. I did watch that movie today, just so I could be prepared. You betcha. Prosecutor attorney William Randall convinced the jury that Mr. Thompson T., then 36, so he's 36 by this time, had arranged what turned out to be a gruesome contact, contract killing so that he could collect nearly $1.1 million in life insurance benefits he recently had taken out on his wife. Mm-hmm. But another motive, they said, was to free himself for another woman that he intended to marry. The prosecution, quoting him, said he had promised his 27-year-old former secretary, Jackie Olson, that the proceeds would provide enough money for us to live on. Remember the secretary he had called his wife early that morning? Oh, yeah. That secretary. Bitch. Mm-hmm. Prosecutor said that he had staged the call so that he would say she was still alive when he left for work. Randall also counted on the dramatic, detailed testimony of the actual killer, Dick Anderson, because he told every thing that happened. Allegedly, here's what the plan was for that day. T would leave for work early that day, unusually early for him, and Carol would send the kids off to school. Meanwhile, Anderson, Dick, would be waiting in the basement of the home for a staged phone call from T's office. When Carol answered the phone near the top of the basement steps, Dick was to sneak up and strike her on the back of the head, knocking her unconscious, then carry her to the bathroom and stage a drowning accident. Oh, that shit. Yeah, that went did not go as planned, maybe because he used a rubber hose. Are we thinking an actual hose or was a rubber hose something else? Like, I don't know. I just feel regardless, uh, anything I'm picturing... It doesn't have enough, like, like substance to it to knock somebody out. Like, I'm thinking, like, a hose that you would have. Like a garden hose? Yes. See, I'm thinking that or, like, a like a rubber tubing. That That's all that. I, I don't even understand. Comes up. So I don't know how that would knock her unconscious. Yeah, no, that's weird. Also, every time you say, uh dick i like giggle because i'm 12 (laughs) well i say anderson and then like it confused me so if i just call him by their first name Mm -hmm. hopefully people will follow along correct the defense led by respected criminal attorney haim siegel insisted that t was a loving and dutiful husband unjustly accused by untrustful witnesses and besmirched by misleading evidence Presumably, against the advice of his counsel, T himself took the stand. By most accounts, he did more harm than good to his case. After 12 hours of deliberation, the jury of six men and six women 
decided that T was guilty as charged, and he was sentenced to life in prison. The verdict made headlines around the world. Also, <laughs> Dick Anderson and the ex-boxer Mr. Mastrian were also given life terms. Sorry, that wasn't... <laughs> the hand motion that Ashley just did is what made me laugh, because she like did a whole thing, and I'm like... I That's have great. really been using my hands to tell this story. I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands. I Tally don't know what nights. to do with my hands. Mm-hmm. So I have been <laughs> illustrating it to Sarah. And we used to be dance teamers. I almost said dancers. And I'm like, that's going to come off wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we like to do stuff and things. <laughs> After serving 19 years of his life term, T was paroled in 1983. The fuck! He didn't kill her. He paid $3,000. Um, I don't care. When you are sentenced to... I know you're being sarcastic. But when you're sentenced to life, fuck off with your 19 years. Like, no. T was paroled in 1983. T had remarried. A secretary bitch or somebody else? No, I forgot mm. her name. Mm. Um, she did die of natural causes. Mm. Um, he sold Sorry. real estate. You know, his relationship with his children remained strained for the duration of his life. I bet. But he was able to reestablish relationships with his son, Jeffrey, mm-hmm. three daughters, Patricia, Margaret, and Amy, mm-hmm. two sisters, six grandchildren, and seven great-grandchildren. Hmm. His son, Jeffrey, is a former defense lawyer and prosecutor who was... 13 at the time um, of the murder, is now a chief judge for the Southeastern District of Minnesota. Huh. And I read that his father, T, Mm -hmm. was there of him being sworn in. Hmm. Jeffrey. Jeffrey! Said he did visit his father in prison. He was Hmm. in Stillwater, I believe. And he did believe that he was innocent. He, because he, through the entire thing, said he was innocent. Mm-hmm. Helped him get parole. And once he was released, him and his siblings did a, I think they called it a kitchen trial. Mm-hmm. Like, they had the evidence of why he was guilty. Mm-hmm. And they wanted him to provide to them of why he wasn't and he couldn't. So his kids were like, you are guilty. Mm-hmm. But... He said he still sent him birthday cards and whatnot. Hmm. You know, it was still his father. But Yeah, but I mean, that's a whole mm-hmm. can of worms. But being a convicted felon, he was prohibited from practicing law mm-hmm. and remained on parole until he died on his 88th birthday, August 7th, mm-hmm. 2015, at his home in Roseville, a Twin City suburb. He always insisted he was innocent, which was said by William Swanson, who wrote a book about the case, Dial M, The Murder of Carol Thompson. It was published in 2006. The last line of his obituary includes a quote from Oscar Wilde, every saint has a past and every sinner a future. Uh. And to note the last part of this, um, Dick and the boxer were also paroled early. I don't know when. So, like, that's my thought, is how could had, how did he try to explain away Dick and the ex-boxer, like, 
conspiring to I mean it's be in his basement and kill his wife without him knowing and the fact that he knew to do it once the she answered the phone which right. was set up to happen so you could say she was alive when I left right and then the secretary chick like that's irritating he got out after 19 years but hey whatever justice system is screwy that it is but that is and i apparently that was a nationwide case way before i was born but i had never heard of it so if i don't know if you guys have i know we are trying to stick to lesser known cases But that one, so of course I had to watch Fargo, which, yes, it had the husband hired someone not to kill his wife, but to kidnap. And and I had never watched Fargo before. If I have, I don't remember. I watch a lot of movies. It had to be probably 20 years ago when I watched it. So in Fargo, it's two men. and One of them had like really bleach blonde hair, Mm. which kind of... Tea. Tea, because he was known as cotton Cotton, for his hair i was like but the filmmaker said they didn't know who he was didn't know that case Mm. it's just it was too familiar but not but yet had its own vibe so when i got here to record this ashley had fargo on and she's like the tv series not the movie oh yeah okay and you had said something about that's any hints or whatever i said that i had heard one podcast covering this but whatever i listened to actually had stuff about the wood chipper like a murder with a wood chipper hmm. so definitely not the same not story the same. wood chipper is just really distinctive so like that's why it's stuck in which was a part of fargo but not in not this, this i mean yeah but yeah that is the story of carol thompson i wish i had more information of her early life anytime i googled her this would come up it would come up mainly about her husband and his early life how he dropped out of high school faked his age to join the military you know went to law school became this lawyer it was was mainly about him and not her so like which is sad exactly and then i did find one article where it described how you know carol had so many friends and that was nice but that's the only one i found and Hmm. yeah it was one of the most like news thing back in 1963 Hmm. up until uh it got disrupted when kennedy died oh but yeah that is i had honestly never heard of that i'm originally from minnesota so yeah thought i'd share it get out of iowa for a little bit next week my episode's gonna be about a few missing people from the state of Michigan, I decided to send them some true crime love and focus on a couple of the missing people over there. And also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could click the little star buttons for us and yeah. also leave a review, that would be great. Yeah. Also, you can do that on YouTube by hitting that subscribe button. Yeah. And the little bell for notifications. And always feel free to comment on YouTube or the Instagram or, or tweet the twit. Tweet the twit at Ope Murder. But that would definitely be greatly appreciated and help us out. Yes. And I, I hope you enjoyed the happy hour uh, that we provided for the holiday. Yeah. It, was, it was fun. I mean, still sad, but 
some drinks, some belches. My manager, she laughed. She's like, you left that in? I'm like, heck yeah, I left that in. It's happy hour. What are you talking about? <laughs> what ifs? But thank you guys for listening. Uh, remember that we want to tell stories to you and not about you. So stay safe. And this was Hometown Homicide. <laughs>